And now, it's the Pixel and Roll Show with Adam McGinnis. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Sucker try to diss me, so I played them like they hit me from the 60s. But I'ma get paid from the 90s. Like to play your little rascal out like Stymie, get your flavor. With my lifesaver techniques, guaranteed to move weeks. And I'll go on for weeks, maybe years. If my peers give me ears to fill, they go for shot and act ill. Parlay that chill, till I paid my dues. Now you can't tell me nothing. To the ones who kept fronting, the ones who try to disimpose how old, no, just cause you had low, see how I got dough, and I'm paid out my rectum, meaning my backbone, grab the mic, flip my match grip to your dome, suckers, I kick them like Taekwondo, yes, hello, from head to toe, the lecture. What is up, Doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel Roll Show. We discuss a team that has lost two in a row, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is April 25th, 2017. Your Washington Wizards have fallen twice in a row to the Atlanta Hawks in these playoffs in the first round and now are tied at 2-2, headed back to D.C. on Wednesday evening for Game 5 with me, my sidekick, who may or may not have, probably has four fouls already by just writing Paul Millsap's name today. Because that's what happens when you mention Paul Millsap, you get a bunch of fouls. Rashad Mobley, Rashad, what is up, bro? How are you? I'm good. You know, the good news out of all this is that Stephen A. Smith went on a three-minute rant about the ineptitude of the Wizards today on first take. So that was... That was nice to see. It's nice to see us get national exposure in a negative way like that. I saw that on ESPN. I'm not going to give him any more credit because he obviously makes more in one day uh, than we probably have made total combined uh, writing for this team. So it's really depressing. And I, I think what was it Stephen A. Smith just two weeks ago or last month say that we could beat the Cavs? And now he's saying blow it all up and we suck? Well, in fairness, and I rarely side with Stephen A. Smith because when I saw him at All-Star Game, Three years ago, I went to shake his hand. He winked at me, and I never forgot that. <laughs> uh, but I, I, in fairness, everything that's not the first, That's not the first time I've heard that story, by the way. I love it each time. You can continually say that forever and ever. Like, like if you want to big time me and just blow me off and not speak to me, that's fine. But you're going to wink at me, and you're never going to extend your hand? Come on, man. Dude, I, I don't think I've ever winked at another dude. I mean, a girl, but another, another guy, I don't know. It seems weird. No. So, But he has some excellent points. I mean... He praised Wall and Beal, but he got on the Wizards' front court for not showing up in that last game and not consistently throughout the series. And I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, as I've, as I've said before, when everyone was thinking that the Wizards could beat the Cavs and could make noise in the playoffs and maybe in the finals if you're really being ambitious, is that you depended on Wall and Beal. But what was happening during that stretch when they were playing so well is that Otto Porter was contributing 15, 20, 25 points a game, and you were getting excellent performances from Morris, Gortat, and maybe Oubre and somebody off the bench. And that's what kind of led everybody to believe, okay, this team can have anywhere from three to five players in double figures. And since then, I mean, basically since the All-Star break, it has been... If you're lucky, it's been Wall and Beal at the same time. But sometimes it's just been one of those players and just kind of mediocre performances from everybody else. So what Stephen A. Smith was saying had some merit. Um, he just goes 
over the top like he always does. But that's well, the root. I mean, I mean let's have some. Well, let's have some context. I mean, it's two two. The Wizards are coming home, and this is a four five matchup. I mean, I'm not making excuses, but gosh, I mean, he's reacting like the Wizards are down o three here. Yeah, but Adam, the the Hawks' victories were way more convincing than the Wizards' victories. The Wizards' victories, the Hawks led a lot of the game, and they kind of stole it at the end. It made it look a little more convincing than it really was. The, the Wizards did not have a convincing win like the Hawks had in Game 3 and like they had again in Game 4, where basically after that second quarter, the Hawks were in control. And so if you're looking at this series and you're looking at every game has gotten progressively closer, and, you, you know, yes, the Hawks didn't, they didn't win the first game, but they were closer that second game. They played better, and the third and fourth game they won. So you can you can have some comfort if you're a Wizards fan and that they're going home. But it's not like there was. I mean, they won the two games at home, but it was it was a struggle. So again, I'm not defending all of what Stephen A. Smith said, but the sentiment that he had was the exact same sentiment on Wizards Twitter last night and today. Oh, I, I wrote some of those negative pixels myself, and you wrote a really good piece that we're about to get into. And look, Stephen A. Smith has already thrown me off my game. It's like uh, I'm the VAR, the VAR ball throwing Stephen A. Smith off his game on uh, on his show there from a couple weeks ago. And that right. Was, well, you're, that was, that you're was pretty Marquise, amazing. No, you're Marquise Morris, and he's Paul Milson. <laughs> yes, the analogies are abound, uh, Rashad. So the, the Wizards fall 111 to 101. Uh, the game... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It was probably a little bit closer than it is, but you know, ten points is probably like you said. The Atlanta made the plays at the end, the way the Wizards did in the first two games to, to to take on the victory. They deserve to win, and but we'll get into the game. But what I was thinking about Rashad is that last time we podcast after Game Three, after that debacle, we talked about what was our keys for Game Four, and we came up with they had to have a fast start, that Beal and Otto had to get going, and Markeith had to show up. And they did go off to a good start. I mean, they led uh, 27 to 18 at one time. They finished the first quarter up 35 to 28, 35 points in the first quarter. The offense is humming. Otto was outplayed uh, pretty much by a rookie for the first half. Markeith picks up two quick fouls. He was in foul trouble most of the most of the game, and, and Millsap did drink his milkshake. Beal finally delivered. Uh, with 32 points, uh, 5 for 14 from 3, which still could be a little bit better. But he did finally find his jumper uh, that he had not had, and he did attack the rim a little bit more, which we wanted. But it was weird is that then, Rashad, did, we did not mention uh, that Jose Calderon and Dwight Howard would be the differences in these games. Uh, they were. And I know that's what you wrote about. And just your thoughts about that just awful, awful second quarter that the Wizards really produced. And I think it was pretty much the difference in this game, even though the Wizards had a, you know, came back to tie it later. Well, we said that the key was the first five minutes in the game. And in fairness, the first five minutes, the Wizards, they didn't look great on defense, but they looked crisp on the offensive end. But almost literally at the 7.05 mark, uh, right around there is when Morris picked up his second foul, uh, or the 6.44 mark, and he was out of the game. And from there, it's a pretty significant when Morris has to come out of the game before Scott Brooks is ready to rotate him because then it throws off. He has to put Jason Smith in, and Millsap has been torching Jason Smith too. And so it threw off the rotation a little bit. But even still, at the end of the first quarter, the Wizards led, and they kind of got the lead up to nine points. And there was a point in the second quarter when Wall had come back in. They briefly pushed it up to seven. And then, as I wrote about today, 
the score was stagnant at 38-33 for almost two and a half minutes. And, you know, the, the Hawks were missing shots and turn, turning the ball over, but so were the Wizards. And Oubre was turning the ball over, and Jason Smith turned the ball over. And Oubre's turnover came on a fast break where he just had no imagination and just tried to go through somebody and caught a foul. And then Jason Smith had a turnover, and then John Wall had a turnover, and it just seemed like, they were missing an opportunity to stretch the lead. I mean, if the shooter was on the bench, you had Calderon and Howard in there, and they just had a chance to stretch it. And then slowly, the Hawks started catching fire. And Hardaway, you know, hit a three, and then Dwight Howard hit a three-point play, and then Wall went through this horrible stretch of three straight turnovers, and there was a missed alley-oop. All of a sudden, that nine-point lead that the Wizards had early in that quarter turned into a nine-point deficit. Now, Jose Calderon is a serviceable backup point guard, but he should not be doing this kind of damage against John Wall. John Wall usually eats his lunch, and he wasn't doing that. And Dwight Howard, all of a sudden... Looked like 2008 just, Dwight, man. I mean, he looked like, like vintage Dwight. And all of a sudden, you have if you have the best player in foul trouble, I mean, the best the point guard in foul trouble, and you have John Wall in with the backups, you should be able to extend that lead and they didn't at least get it to double digits to a comfortable point. And not only did they not extend the lead, but they were down by nine at halftime. And it's just, I, as I told you in GTAC today, I, I, I threw the remote, I hit the couch because <laughs> I just felt like, you know. It was a missed opportunity. I mean, let's go back. The reason Calderon was in the game because Dennis Schroeder picks up three uh, quick fouls and he had such a good game and has been a tough handle, uh, streaky at times, but has been a tough handle for Wall. Uh, and what the hell series, Budenholzer right. thinking anyway? Yeah, I mean, that was how, d- how dumb. Like, oh yeah, why did he take him out? There was a dead ball. I thought that was so dumb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, interrupt. Yeah, no, no. Keep going. Yeah, what was? I mean, I'm going to just go off on Brooks in a little bit. So you know, Budenholzer. I was like, I mean, it was pretty early in the in the first quarter, and then all of a sudden, I know where Shorter gets his third, and then you're like, like you said, you're like, oh wow, who comes in? Jose Calderon, and instead, Jose Calderon ends up with ten points and plus twenty nine. On the plus minus, Schroeder ended up with minus 13 and 18 points. He did have a couple big buckets late. But yeah, Colerone and Dwight really were the difference. And also, if you look at the Wizards offense, and if I was a better blogger, once again, I always say this, I would really analyze and break down these possessions in the second quarter. But the first quarter ends, the Wizards, you know, had 35 points. They shot 15 and 28 from, from field, from the field. Uh, they had nine assists and zero turnovers. In the second, quarter they were five of 20 from the field eight turnovers and three assists i mean it's hard to say that, that was the difference because you know they had some chances here late and we're going to get into it but wow i mean this like you said to go from a nine point lead to a nine point deficit at halftime when you have baysmore making shots and dwight just dominating down low and, and calderon just just pushing the action that is extremely disappointing i think it was a difference in the game i think you have have a different mind state if you are up by nine or more points coming into the second half. You're taking Atlanta out of their comfort zone. Maybe they're running their offense a little differently. Maybe Millsap is taking more threes, and instead you put they, they're in their comfort zone. They don't have to force anything. They don't have to be rushed. And I, I thought it was a big deal. I mean, what if you're up nine and Beal has the kind of third quarter he had last night, where he scores 12 points on four or six, and then you're looking at extending the lead even more. And you have a cushion, and you can allow yourself... Instead of fighting back, right? Right, right, because then 
you have a lapse, if you have a lapse late in the game, the lapse means that you're tied and you have to pull it out. It does not mean you find yourself in a, with a deficit trying to fight and kind of being in desperation mode yourself, which is not good when you're not shooting great from the field. So the Wizards didn't play great in the fourth quarter, but it wasn't as, it, it was just, it was glaring in the third quarter. I mean, the fourth quarter, everybody was back for the Hawks. So of course you expect that, but I just thought the second quarter is, is where they lost the game and they were just, scrambling and trying to get back in it from there on. Yeah, so the Wizards outscored, they crawled back into this game, they outscored the Hawks 27-18 to in the third quarter, behind the 12 points of Bill that you mentioned. I felt Otto finally had his moments, he had a really good block, uh, he had a good tip out, he had a good rebound, he, he hit a shot. Finally, we saw some flashes of the Otto that we had seen, aside from just, I don't know, just bad defense, like bad closeouts. I mean, I know Prince is a rookie and he's shown some flashes, but I mean, this is Otto's series here. This is Otto, you know, two years ago in the playoffs, he really arrived, you know, with Paul Pierce's encouragement and really piggybacked uh, this year to have a breakout season. And there's a lot of money on the line for Otto, and he is coming up short. Now, people have, have hit me up and wondering, do you think he's hurt? He had a banged up neck, or maybe he has a back, maybe a hip. Uh, and it just seems like not that he's getting beat, it's just how badly he's getting beat. Yeah, I. I... I think something is up, and I uh, I made the comparison uh, when I when I cheated on you on Saturday on yes. Ben's podcast. I made the comparison that it reminds me of Bryce Harper, where you know last season he started off amazing, and then he just kind of trickled off. And you know he, at the time he was hurt, but he didn't say anything. And I think Otto is hurt. I mean he he hit a couple shots that make you feel like okay he's back, but he really didn't have. And he was all over the place on defense. I'll give him credit for that, but. In the fourth quarter, he put up a bagel, you know, along with Gortat. That's when you could have used his three-point shooting, you know, and you just got nothing out of him. So something is up with him. But defensively, the Wizards are off. I mean, Morris is not – it's getting torched, as we mentioned. Oubre comes in the game. It's either being over, overly aggressive or missing. But to oh, me – Oh, you saw that charge from a mile away coming, didn't you? Right. <laughs> but to me, it's, this is John Wall. I mean – this is two in consecutive games. John Wall has gotten torched by the starter and the backup. You know, it's interesting. I saw this clip, and I don't know if you saw it on Kevin Garnett's Area Twenty One, where the panel uh, it was Bernard King, Gary Payton, Chris Webber, and Kevin Garnett, and they spent a couple of minutes talking about John Wall. You know, Webber talked about his growth and how he's uh, improved his game every year, and Bernard King talked about how he's always in control in, in terms of knowing where his teammates are and passing the ball. And Gary Payton specifically talked about how a few years ago John Wall reached out to him and asked him what he needed to do to become a better point guard. Gary Payton said, you need to make your teammates better and you need to be a force on the other end of the ball. Different points this season, John Wall has been a force, but he started off badly and we just chalked it up to he's not in shape because of the knee surgery and he's not there yet. But now when it counts, I mean, it's nice that he's putting up big offensive numbers, but it's just so disruptive when Schroeder can get off offensively and can get into the lane or when Calderon can kind of get hot. It's disruptive and causes the rest of the offense to break down. And he's the head of the snake. I mean, people follow the team, follow his lead. So a lot of this is on John Wall to tighten up defensively and to wreak havoc and not just reach, but to actually play the man, you know, not go under screens when Schroeder's out there and, and, and to wreak havoc. And he has not been doing that. So as well as he has played offensively, he carried the day in Game Three, but his, you know, defensively it, it starts with him, and I think that he he bears a lot of the responsibility for this two-game collapse. 
I definitely see that. I mean, he has not played well defensively, even though his offensive numbers sensational all series. Now, Rashad, they still have a chance in this game, right? 77-77 going into the fourth quarter. Earlier this season, we gave Scott Brooks a lot of praise. I would I would tweet randomly, hey, when are finally some of the national media types going to come have some, you know, eat some crow about Scott Brooks and this notion that he was a bad coach and he just allowed Russell and Kevin Durant to do whatever they wanted, even though we've kind of seen that that's maybe the best system for Russell or Kevin Durant playing Kendrick Perkins too much in the finals, and that there was just this negative narrative on NBA Twitter, on from fans, from the media, about Scott Brooks as a coach, and I bought into it somewhat, and then I saw him uh, up front, and up personal, aside from just him being a nice guy and being such a breath of fresh air compared to the crusty Randy Whitman that we've been dealing with over the last few years as a, as a blogger and as a professional journalist that covers this, is that Rashad, that I saw a different person than what the narrative was of him and a different perception of what I thought was wrong and correct. And so I would come and say these comments randomly and I'd have some pushback once in a while and I'd have, you know, fans and people, you know, Hey, I was wrong too. Or, and one time someone mentioned, uh, is it Darnell Mayberry, the writer, uh, for the thunder, somehow someone tagged him and me and him got this big exchange and turns out he's a wizards bullets fan. I had no idea. Did you know that? <laughs> I had no idea. He went to games with the, his first game ever was at the, the cap center. I, had, I was unaware, but you know, he talked about Rod Strickland being his favorite player. We ended up, me and him ended up having, I would say a negative context, but we started the conversation with someone just kind of calling him out from my tweet and then me and him had a good back and forth. But his point really resonated with me last night. It was like, hey, we'll see what he does in the playoffs. We'll see if he continually plays uh, Derek Fisher too much like he did in Oklahoma City. And he, he was mentioning these certain players and these certain things. And last night, it's 77 going in the fourth quarter. He starts the fourth quarter uh, with Wall and Beal on the bench. Now, Beal had just picked up his fourth foul. And Wall maybe needed a rest, perhaps. I don't know. I think that maybe he should kept him in. Uh, so then the, the Hawks go on a quick 4-0 run. He calls a timeout with 10 and a half minutes left. Does not put one of them back in. And so then they go on another 4-0 run. So now it's 8-0 run, and now he puts Wall back, Wall and Beal back in. And they never, you know, I think they got close. I felt like that was maybe a moment where it kind of brought back to some of the criticism of Scott Brooks, fair or unfair from the past, of he really shrunk in this moment of, Going back to, you know, hey, you you always have Russell Westbrook or Durant in the game. You don't play certain players, you know, as, as much as you had now. Granted, he's playing some of these players because of foul trouble uh, that he has. And I don't know if I have too many quibbles with so many of his rotations. But I just felt that was a moment that he tried to buy himself some extra time and the risk bat really backfired on him. I, I get that. I also don't know why he can continues to play Wall and Jennings together. I mean, we didn't even we didn't even see that's that. A, that's, that yeah, that, that that's another terrible decision that I would say. Yeah, that, it just it just doesn't work well. I mean, I, I almost rather see Sadoransky in there um, than than see Wall and Jennings. It just it just doesn't work. But their defense in the fourth quarter just was not good. I mean, they even with even when they put all the starters back in after he didn't put them in when they went on that first four or one, they still cut it to one point. You know, John Wall had a that's, layup. That's true. My bad. They did. They it, did. Come, they did come down to about one, but, right? But there were, you know, there were a quick like Beal took a quick shot. There was a turnover by Wall, and it just wasn't. You know, Morris missed an easy layup, and there just wasn't that fluidity with the offense. And meanwhile, Atlanta was clicking. I mean, Millsap was back in the game and doing what he does, and it just, like I said, 
the difference was the second quarter because at, at that point they expended so much energy trying to get back in the game, trying to stay close, and they weren't really shooting well. I just think it was too much. And by that point, the Hawks were already rolling. Schroeder got to the lane. Millsap was scoring at will. Morris couldn't play with the aggressiveness that he wanted to because of the foul trouble. It, it didn't look like the Wizards team that you were used to seeing. They weren't running, and that's, that's just too much to overcome. There was a late drive the Wall had. I think they cut it to like four or five with a couple of minutes left. And he missed that layup, and that was pretty much it. And then they hit some shots. Now, let's talk about Paul Millsap. Once again, Paul Millsap did not have a, as good a scoring game as he did uh, dominate as he has, but he still ended up with a pretty decent box score. Let me look at it. 19 points, 7 assists, 9 rebounds, uh, 8 free throws again, plus 6, plus minus. The, the Hawks... They had balanced scoring. I mean, Bazemore and Calderon had 26 points combined off the bench. Hardaway, 15. Schroeder, 18. Dwight, 16 and 15. Prince, 11 and 7. Do we just underestimate the Hawks here? This team is a bad matchup for the Wizards? No, I don't think so. I think what's happening is we, the Wizards are not getting a Contrib- consistent... Contributions for everyone else. I and mean, we just mentioned the Hawks had seven players in double figures. Where is that happening for the Wizards, per se, right? Right. That That's not happening, and... The other thing that the Hawks are able to expose is the lack of Wizards defense. And I think the main trait for the Wizards that was happening after the All-Star break was they were outscoring people, so you really didn't see their deficiencies, you know, because they just were able to outscore people. I think that game against Cleveland was a perfect example. I think it was 129 to 113, something like that. You know, you shouldn't be giving up 113 points, but if you score 129, who's going to quibble with that? Well, everything slows down in the playoffs, and things really slow down if you're not getting a third and fourth scorer. And so I think that's what we're seeing, their, their lack of defense. And that, and the other thing, we're not giving Paul Millsap enough credit. He's, he's a tough matchup. He's a very tough matchup. And there's no, you know, Marquise Morris is not the best defender, but he is aggressive. He does play with a bit of an attitude, and Millsap has just been baiting him left and right into committing those fouls. And... You know, we have to give him credit. But the other matchup, there is no other matchup that the Wizards should be losing. Honestly, I mean, Wall should be up on Schroeder. He should be defending him. Gortat, just like he did in game one, should be neutralizing Dwight Howard. He's quicker than Dwight. He's more athletic. Maybe he doesn't have as quick a jump, a second jump when he misses the shot, but he should be outplaying uh, Dwight He can finish better around the rim. He should be able to. Right, but there's no way that he should go scoreless. And, and, and how, many, how about the one time Dwight just, like, bullied him for, like, two straight rebounds? I was like, holy shit, dude. Yeah, Dwight was tipping the ball back and forth between his left and right hands. And, yeah, so there there are reasons why the Wizards are losing. I don't think we underestimated the Hawks. I think we just we thought that things would magically be fixed on the offensive side, of the, on the defensive side of the ball for the Wizards, and that hasn't happened. Now... I'm pretty sure that going back home and being angry that they're even, as they mentioned, uh, I read some of Candace Buckner's stuff after the game. They're angry, but they, they're saying we have to stick together. So I expect them to come out much like the Hawks did in game three and kind of put a little separation between the two. But what I worry about is that moment when Wall and or Beal goes to the bench and the bench starts coming in. I just, I just worry that that momentum will be lost. I also worry about Markeith. Is he out of his own head yet? Is he gonna? Is he ready to contribute? Because in game one, he was ready. But since then, as I wrote today, he's been steady declining. And now, as much as he's run his mouth and called Millsap names, he just looks 
he looks soft. No, he, he totally looks lost. Rashad, I'm going to be a hypocrite real quick. So, you know, I coach little kids basketball, and when we get screwed by the refs, I usually tell the kids to play through it. That let me complain to the refs, and you guys need to play through the call. Sometimes they're going to go your way, sometimes they're not. Now, as a fan, I'm not going with that. I'm really pissed at these calls. Now, here's the deal. Paul Millsap, what did he turn into LeBron James? Yes, he is drawing some fouls. He is a hell of a player. The calls that he is getting, dude, is, is unbelievable. There was a set, the one that stands out the most was that he sets mostly moving picks. He pushed off, got an and one after he pushed off, and then literally pushes a, a moving pick for a guy for get a three. And that was, that was pretty much it. I mean, the Wizards never really recovered. Now, that wasn't why we went through the reasons why, uh, you know, the front court got dominated. And there's not getting contributions from, you know, as many players as the, as the Hawks are. Doug Gottlieb. I don't even like Doug Gottlieb. Rips on players getting paid, all that. He says, Millsap set three illegal screens, pushed off, fell down, made the and one, pathetic officiating. A Hawks blogger who actually uh, runs a podcast for the Hawks, he put in quotations, we going to talk about the Hawks getting every call or not? Nah? So I give him credit for acknowledging that his team has gotten more calls than the Wizards. Now, Millsap has shot 44 free throws. He complains. He shoots fadeaways. Now, Rashad, call me a hypocrite, whatever. I know that maybe it's in their head. I, I feel that the Wizards may be losing their composure about the calls. And obviously, if I was coaching them, I'd say, hey, play through it. That's not where they're losing. It's because they're, you know, pick and roll defense is bad. But when it's a tie game in these situations, like we saw in game two, when Ubre went for a ball, undercut, undercut, I don't know if it was Baysmore or Schroeder, it was a 50-50 ball. This should have been a no call or a double foul. They call foul on Ubre. Beal bitches gets a technical. Literally the same thing happens where, where Porter gets undercut by a Hawk player and somehow it's Hawk ball. And I know that it's different officials and everything, but as a fan, I'm seeing that and I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? I hear you. I do, but you just, they just can't use that as a crutch. The Wizards already complain too much as it is. On, what do you mean Millsap complains every fucking time down the court, dude? Even on fadeaways, he's complaining. Yeah, but... Can, can, how about this? Rashad, can he be a crybaby and getting calls and also in Marquise's head as well? Can it be both simultaneously? <laughs> he can be that, but look, I haven't been watching the Hawks all year. I've been watching the Wizards yes. all year, and the, the amount of complaining that they've done is just... And they rubbed off on them the wrong way? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just so much complaining, and it, it, it and I've, we've even seen at a couple points... They've complained while they should be getting back on defense. There was just one play where Beal obviously got fouled, but he stopped his momentum on the offense and kind of held the ball in his right hand and looked at the ref like, you're not going to call the foul? You don't You do not do that. You play till you hear the whistle. So that's number one. Number two, nobody on the Wizards' side of the ball, particularly in the interior, is as aggressive in the paint as Millsap has been. Millsap gets the ball. He goes in the paint. He forces the issue. He kind of plays on the fact that Mark Keep is overly aggressive, and he's taking advantage of that. Who on the Wizards, between Gort, among Gortat, Morris, and even Otto, is doing that? Nobody. And so, of course, it looks like it's a disparity, but when you are primarily the aggressor, and you are in the paint, and you are head faking and getting to the lane, it's going to look like that. I think that Markeith, like he did in game one, when he was aggressive and he was going to the hole, he was getting, he was getting those calls, but... I, I'm not saying that there isn't a disparity, but I think there are things that the Wizards could do to kind of close that gap. I mean, there were a lot of jumpers shot in the second half, Adam. I mean, just a lot of jumpers. There wasn't a lot of interior play. And so I, 
So now, I now think, we have now we have Kevin McHale, Bird, and Parrish on the on the on the Hawks getting all these calls. What is this, Hakeem down low? I, I I just don't get it, dude. We have Shaq on their team where all you have to do is foul him, and he fouls out the whole front line. I mean, Rashad, this one pissed me off. I went today speaking of G Chat. Who has the most fouls in the playoffs right now? Markeith Morris with nineteen. Who is number two? Jason Smith with eighteen. Tied for number three is Kelly Oubre. So the three top players in the NBA. Of all the postseason in the four games so far, are three Wizards and two of them are bench players. Now, okay. now you think that now is that because Paul Millsap is dominating and getting more calls, being more aggressive? Sure, I'll give him. But for having to those happen, especially two bench players that barely play, and Jason Smith probably deserves a lot of those fouls, and so does Ubre Morris. Some of them been questionable. But where? Why is no one else doing? It? I mean, the Hawks are being that much more aggressive. I just don't see it. I, I feel that. The Wizards are not getting the benefit of the calls, and maybe it's manifesting in negative ways. I, I, as a fan, this is what I'm seeing. These are the stats, and I'm just pissed off about it. That's not okay. – they should be 2-2. I mean, honestly, the Hawks could have won every single game. So, But I, as a fan, I think it's bullshit. So, so, so here's my pushback. <laughs> All year, we've been watching Markeith pick up two fouls early in, in, in the first quarter, so much so – that at a couple points, Scott Brooks has come out and said, Marquise has got to play smarter. He's got to stay in the game. That's been happening all season. Number two, Kelly Oubre does the same thing. He gets so fired up. He gets so jacked up that he commits these reaching fouls or he overplays someone. That that happens all the time, and he takes himself out of the game. Those two always are in foul trouble. So what you're left with is trying to explain why Jason Smith has so many fouls. Well, you know what? Because He can't, he can't defend Millsap, right? But he's in the game earlier than he needs to be, and he's he he cannot defend Millsap. Millsap is not the kind of player who Jason Smith excels at, and there's no Mahimni to kind of take the you know take a little bit of the slack up. So there are reasons why those particular. Now, if Wall and Beal were at the top of that list, then I would say, okay, wait a minute, something is up. But Ubre and Morris have been committing fouls and bunches and quick dump fouls and bunches all season. So, but and again. I think that foul disparity could still be there if, and the Wizards could be playing better on defense and they could be getting more contributions on offense and it wouldn't matter. I don't think that's why they're losing. I think that's just, you know, you can. Statistical anomaly that, that somehow Smith and Uber have more fouls than Obaka and Beverly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Obaka is. Well, and Thon Baker and Kyle Lowry, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, that's that's who is is number four, five, six here in the playoffs. And I don't know if they foul a lot. I don't, I don't really know that much. But Rashad, good good mention of this bigs. I mean, we've talked about how the bigs have been outplayed. The front court has been dominated. Dwight and Millsap have dominated them. How much do this team miss Yamihimi? That now it kind of even goes back to what a flop the free the free agency uh, summer season was for Grunfeld. We have not talked about Grunfeld much on this podcast. We've talked about you know, how good Scott Brooks' hire has been. But, I mean, to go from Jason Smith, Mahimi, Nicholson, trade a first-round pick for Bohan is all you had to show for for that big summer from two years. I think it's really coming back to play. And the other two things that sticks out, even though I'm not going to blame the front office for because it just happens to be some, you know, so Wizards bullshit is – Gosh, did you watch Nene the other night for the Rockets? It was like playoff Nene, 2014, circa, when he dominated the Bulls on Easter Sunday. Unbelievable. Had one of the best games of his career on the postseason. And, gosh, the Wizards really could use him. And then 
I turn off the Wizards' loss first time. I turn on the the Warriors' game, and JaVel McGee is like doing an alley oop dunk and dancing. I was like, great, just just to stick it in, stick it in me. I'm not saying the Wizards need both those players. They really could use Nene. I know why that they let him go and why he was only signed for 1.3 million. And I think there were some locker room issues that that the team needed to move on from him per se. Uh, that he could, his personality is maybe too strong to take a to a lesser role here, or maybe he could at another team and it needed a change. But they could really use him uh, without Mahimi for sure. Well, I think I think Nene had to go in order for Wall yes. to be the leader that he ultimately Correct. has become now. Because Nene and wouldn't I, listen to him, I don't think at all. Right, and I think Nene wanted to go too. He wanted to go to a different kind of team, and he's actually on a team where they're there are more veterans. It's an older team. I mean, he has his old teammate in Ariza, there's Eric Gordon, even James Harden. That, that's an older team, and that's a team that fits him because he has a set role that's all his, which is coming off the bench, be physical, and play around, you know, some bets. So I don't... You know, I think they could use Mahimni definitely because just to defend Dwight Howard and to give Millsap a different look, Mahimni is taller and bigger than Millsap and can kind of give him different looks, but... Look, even with all that, the Wizards should have won Game Four. I mean, I'll give them Game Three. They should have lost that, but they should they should be they they should be up three two, getting ready to close out this series. And one of the reasons why, you know, Scott Brooks is, gets paid to make adjustments seven million dollars a year. This is why he gets right. paid. I tweeted that last night as well. So he has to get paid. He has to make an adjustment, and he has to figure out a way to get Gortat the ball early and often, maybe get Dwight Howard in foul trouble, maybe get Mahimi, I mean, maybe get uh, Millsap in foul trouble, and he has to figure out a way to get Otto. Maybe, maybe the, more the, like best. maybe more pick and rolls with Gorton Wall? I feel like they've gone away with that, gone away from that. Maybe. And I, maybe Bogdanovich is is primed to break out of his slump. He, he showed off his little post-up game a, a couple times. He hit a three- if he can get going, that alone is enough reason for them to win game five. Well, I mean, him, him and Jennings are really the only other contributor on the bench, right? In any capacity, this last game, per se. Right. But, uh, but I, we saw encouraging signs that maybe he's going to break out of his slump, which if, if Otto stays in his slump or is hurt, if Bogdanovich breaks out of his, that's you, know, you, you can live with that. So we'll... We'll see. I, I said going into game four that the, the key was the first five minutes. To me, in, in this upcoming game tomorrow night, the key is what does the front line do? Can they stay out of foul trouble? Can they get Dwight and Millsap out of the game? That's that's the key. What can the what can they do? Okay. Yeah. The other thing is the shooting. I mean, you look at the stats, dude. This is what this team has shot from the field. 45% in game one, 45.3 in game two, 41.6 in game three, 42.4 in game four. On this season, they were sh- they shot 47% third in the NBA. And three-pointers in the entire series, four games, 29.7. On the season, they shot 37.5, good for top 10, eighth in the NBA. I know it's this matter of making some shots, but wow, they cannot. I mean, they're not going to be able, if they're not going to do the dirty things, and they're not going to be able to play defense and grind these out the way Atlanta has play these foul played games. I mean they have to shoot at a higher clip or they're just this is gonna be trouble. They do, and it would be nice if both Wall and Beal were at the top of their game just just to wreak havoc. But I, I 
I do think we're going to see a we're going to see a pre All Star break Wizards team come out in Game Five because I think they know that. I mean, I, I think they're they're tired of reading how they're choking. They're tired of complaining, and I think they're going to come out and just 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 play a strong game. You know that Wall is going to be feeding off the crowd, and the key is okay. Can can they both can Beal and Wall start off to one of those starts where they're up by double digits? The crowd is going crazy. That's that's what that's what I'm looking to see. Yeah, I, I mean this it, it's reminiscent to two years ago, right? They had Game Five, pivotal Game Five in Atlanta. Wall comes back from his broken wrist. It goes down to the wire. We can argue about the box out with the Nene. I I would say that Paul Pierce got fouled by Corver. That there was a lot of other dirty things that it wasn't all in the Nene, but Horford tips it in. They take that game, and then obviously the Paul Pierce game uh, where the three goes uh, goes in to tie it miraculously, but right after the buzzer, and the Wizards lose that series. We're back here, but now here's the advantage, that the Wizards now are at home. And they've had one of the best home records in the league, especially in the Eastern Conference, all year. This is why you this is why you've earned this. You've earned this game five to have it on your home court, to come out and to play well and to shoot better than they have. And and is it a silver lining? They still haven't played their best game at all, even in their two wins. And so, they, do you see that there's a potential? I know Adam Rubin tweeted that, that, hey, if the Wizards play their best game, you know, they can win. And they really haven't. And so maybe they can get over all this and just come out firing, like he said, play off the crowd. Now, I am really kind of pissed about the 6 p.m. start that uh, they got screwed with Hawks uh, tomorrow night. Uh, we've never really played on a weekday at 6 p.m. on a Wednesday uh, very random. Your thoughts on the 6 p.m. start? I mean, it. it I mean, I'm not. It is. What, it is. What, it is what it is. One of those answers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. What, what matters? Like, I guess the the eight o'clock game or eight thirty game is Bulls Celtics, and they want that to be yeah. unfettered. So, but it, it it doesn't matter. I just you just want the Wizards to come out and well, play. I'm, well, I'm talking about the crowd getting there. I mean, it's a late arrival crowd. I mean, the crowd has been electric. Uh, the first two games of the season. And so hopefully they can get out of work a little bit earlier and get jacked because this is the most important game of the season. So any fans listening to that, they're going to the game, get your ass there early and be loud because it is highly important that we feed off this home court advantage because, the hey, you know, the Hawks, we, we rip on Atlanta fans and, you know, respect the A and the Braves and, I you know, the poor Falcons screwing themselves uh, in the Super Bowl. But, you know... From all what I've read online since that, they were loud. That that game at the Phillips Arena was intense. Those those fans were jacked, packed, and into it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, Adam had a point. If the Wizards are playing their best and their starters are not in foul trouble and the rotations aren't messed up, they can win the game. That was evident in Game One when all the starters were rolling and every time they were in the game, they were winning. Mm-hmm. So. And I, I agree with Adam. If they play smart, even if they even if they don't play their best defensively, if they're staying out of foul trouble, they they should win. I mean, they they should win every game by ten. To, they should have won every game by ten to twelve points because they're that much better. But as someone said to me the other day, the way this they when they were handicapping the series, they said if Wall and Beal are the best players every night, the Wizards win. If Paul Millsap is the best player in the series, the Hawks are going to win. Mm-hmm. And in games two through four, Paul Millsap was the best player on the floor. They were lucky that they, you know, the Hawks didn't pull out game two. But games three and four, 
He was the best player. Even when he wasn't scoring yesterday, seven assists for your forward. Yep. He was tied, tied for the and, get, and getting the Wizards guys in foul trouble as well. Right. I mean, it, it reminded me when Iverson was in his prime, it wasn't just the scoring and the stealing on defense. It was the way he would just get point guards and the opposing guards in foul trouble, just get them out of there. He was just disruptive. That's what Millsap is doing. He's disruptive. Sometimes he gets the ball on the elbow. Sometimes he comes out to the three-pointer and pulls out Gortat or Jason Smith, you know, throws up a little head fake or a ball fake and goes by them. He's just being totally disruptive. And the way you counteract that, like they did in game one, is to take him in the post, put Morris in the post, and start making him work, start getting him off balance. And they haven't done that. So, I know, we've gone on too long here. Yes, but that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's the key to me is the front court. The front court on offense, the front court on defense has to take some pressure off a of wall and be. Okay, I have a couple quick Twitter questions for fans and we'll go. Uh, what should the Wiz do with Otto? This is from Obu Obu2 Jai for you. I don't it's not a matter of what the Wiz should do with Otto. It's a matter of, is he healthy because he's getting open shots. He's he's getting he's playing well on defense, but something just seems to be wrong on offense. Now it could be his neck, it could be something, it could be his hip that he has a chronic problem with. So it's it's just a matter, if you're Coach Brooks, you can't just leave him in just because he's out of If he's laboring, if he's not hitting the open shot, you got to get him out of there and bring in Oubre or Bogdanovich. Yeah, Oubre definitely needs to step up his game, and we need the bogey buckets that we had when he first came over from the Nets. They potentially could be referencing in the offseason what we're going to do with Otto. I don't really want to discuss that right now, but Otto is probably huh. still going to get a max offer, so I, I'm unsure what the team should do at this point. Depending on how this playoff shakes out, when is when it? I do not think he's going to get a max offer anymore because he has. Oh no, because he's he hasn't been the same player, and what dogged him the first few years of his career is consistency. And as well as he played the first half, I mean, he's just been he's he's been MIA. So that that's not max contract stuff. When when is Ernie gone (laughs) after losing to Atlanta? Oh, geez. This is, from, this is from Fasal uh, Hassan. Thank you, Fasal. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they're going to hang a division banner. You think Ted's going to get rid of Ernie after a division banner? No way. Ernie's not going anywhere. If he was going to go anywhere, it would be when Ted looked up and saw that Blotch and McGee and Nick Young were on the roster. That's not going to happen. I mean, this... this or, or after missing the playoffs last year, right? Right. I mean, that, no. Ernie is a made man. Uh, one more question. Is is uh, am I a simmer for blaming the recent outcomes, at least partially on questionable officiating? We've already discussed that. I said yes. Rashad leans no. That is from Wizards are great. D D's Wiz D's Wiz nuts. Uh, this is a good question. A last one from Discal Plow. How do we get Bohan involved again? I think that'll take care of itself. I think that he showed signs. Number one, he showed signs in the last game of posting up, getting to the basket, drawing a foul, going to the line, and the next time he shot an outside shot, he hit a three-pointer. Yeah, so, he had 13 points in 18 minutes. He was 2 of 4 from 3. Uh, he was negative 12 from the line. But, yes, I think his ability to stretch the floor and we can maybe play him. Maybe we play him at the 3. Who knows? Yeah, I, I think if you're Coach Brooks, you monitor Otto. You have a talk with Otto and say, are you Okay. I need I need this from you. I need some scoring from you tonight. And if, if it's the mid to end the first quarter and he's not giving it to you, put in Bogdanovich. If nothing else, he's a he's more of a post threat than Otto, and he can just just give a different look. So I I, I think that 
I think that ultimately, just because Otto, for whatever reason, is not playing well, you'll see Bogdanovich, and I think that he'll kind of feed off that momentum he built up in the fourth game and continue to be a factor. Well, I'm nervous already, Rashad. Thank you for uh, talking me down from the ledge, but not really. I'm still pissed at the refs. But it, this is time for them to shine. I mean, these four games, it's you know, it's best of three. They got two at home. Uh, game six will be Friday in Atlanta, and game seven, if necessary, will be Sunday in D.C. Rashad, any parting words before we jam out of here? The first thing I tweeted this morning is I have a what are we going to do if the Wizards lose? Who do we blame if the Wizards lose this series article in my head? I, I don't want to have to write that article. So go, go Wizards. <laughs> there you go. I know. I, I feel like it's just going to throwing my head up against the wall and complaining about Ted Leontis and Ernie Grunfeld for the millionth time and all the people listening to this will be we'll just be back to half these podcasts that I've had is just us commiserating in misery when this has been a fun season where we have it still lined up to accomplish some things in advance and I think that John Wall and Beal have to step it up and auto somewhat but you're right Beal and Wall have to play at all-star level because there's no one really else on the Hawks aside from Millsap that can play at that level if they're playing their best. And if the Wizards lose at them two playing their best, then you know so be it. And maybe blow it all up like Stephen A's dumbass says. But I don't think that will happen. And I think the Wizards will be able to take this one. But I'll be nervous as hell all afternoon. Cannot wait to go to the phone booth. I will not be covering it. I'll be probably going as a fan. So, uh, everyone, thank you so much. Thank you, Rashad, for your time, man. Gosh, we had like three podcasts in three or four days. It's like record pace, man. Your, your, your wife knows you need to get it out, but everyone, go check out Rashad's piece on truthaboutit.net. He, it was a really good one, and I will try to have this podcast up as soon as possible. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and as always, go Wizards. Peace out. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all of thorns upon my liar's chair full of broken thoughts 
I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all 